Good morning and welcome to San Diego First Church. So glad you're here. My name is Matt Wilson and I'm one of the pastors here on staff and it is just my honor to welcome you to our service this morning. This service, we come, we gather for really just one reason and that is to lift up Christ, to bring our hearts, our prayers, uh, our meditations on Jesus, the one that has resurrected us to new life just want to remind you that as a part of our worship practice, we have tables set on either side of the stage for, for you to come to, to pray and have a, a candle represent your prayers. This time, I would love to invite Andrea Hooper to come up and read our call to worship. Good morning. Let us join together in reading Psalm 150 responsively. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good morning. Would you stand with us as we worship? As everything with breath this morning lifts up our Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. Let us join with all creation, giving thanks to our God. the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, he holds the victory.
worship you for your redeeming power. Cry out. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing today out of the busyness of our lives to come and say thank you. Thank you for the life that you breathe into us. Thank you for the beauty of your creation surrounding us. Thank you for the closeness of your presence with us. Today, we take what we have this morning, our voices, our posture, our worship, and we give it to you, Lord, in thanks, in reverence, and in awe of you. For we declare and acknowledge that you are our God and that we look to follow you with our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray and we sing together. Amen. We are here for you. 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 Surrender yourselves to the Lord this morning. We are here for you. We are here for you. Inspire our hearts, Lord. We are here for you. Your breath. 
to take a moment to celebrate our children being here and worshiping alongside of us. Each Sunday morning, they are in children's church, and they are being shaped and formed by the power of God, by the study of the teachers, and by 
the spirit that is dwelling inside of them, would you join me as we pray over them as we dismiss them into Children's Church? This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. See you later, kids. Have fun. Bye. We continue in prayer. God, we come before you with our hearts open. We ask that your spirit would come and fill this pace and fill our hearts. Would you come and move within us and through us, shaping us and molding us to live into the lives that you've created and called us for. To live with patience, to live with love and kindness. mercy and justice. We ask that you would come and fill our hearts, God. Take
offer our lives to you today as living sacrifices to accomplish your will that we would live in love and grace as you did. In Jesus' name, we sing, we surrender, and we worship. Amen. You may be seated. Is it back on? Yay, there you go. As we continue to worship, we'd love for you to know a little bit about what's going on in the life of our church. The first is this. would love for you to take uh, this sweet little bulletin that we have and that QR code, uh, hover your smartphone over it. A Google Doc will come up, a Google form. And uh, it's a very simple form. It's just so that we know that you're here and a great way for you to communicate with your, tr- your church staff. If you've got prayer requests, we want to know about them. And this is a confidential way for you to let us know what's going on in your life if you need prayer. So go ahead, fill out that uh, Google form. We'd love to know that you're here. In addition, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, there is a Church of the Nazarene District Zone Rally. And that might sound like a pep rally of some kind. Not quite that. It's a worship service in which... uh, Churches and pastors from all over our area are going to gather at Mission Nazarene, uh, Mission Church of the Nazarene, and, and worship together, take communion together, and then hear what is going on in all the different churches on our district. So if you are interested in that, that's going to be at 6 p.m. at Mission Church of the Nazarene out in Mission Valley. I uh, would invite you to that. In addition, uh, as our denomination kind of is uh, focusing us on discipleship, uh, they are inviting us into a, a prayer of a praying towards Pentecost. And what that entails is essentially a, a prayer journal that can be found online, either uh, through the Church of Nazarene website or through our website. We have it linked. And it's a, just a digital prayer journal that uh, helps us move towards Pentecost. Uh, as we celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the early church. Um, so join you, uh, hope that you would join us in that. 
In addition, we have our Wednesday night programming going on. We have the Bible uh, study for everyone. We're going through the letter of Colossians. Uh, A great time had there in studying uh, this week, Colossians 2. In addition, we have made just a slight change in our pickleball format. Uh, It's still happening, but it's going to be every other week. So it's not second and fourth uh, Thursdays. It's just every other Thursday. It kind of gets us um, into the rhythm of uh, making sure that fifth Thursday in a month is accounted for. So we're just going every other week now. If you are interested and you think that uh, I'm not very good at pickleball, but I am very good at basketball, the alternating night of Thursday, we are inviting you to play basketball with us. We have a a pickup basketball game that happens every Thursday night uh, when it's not pickleball night. So either one of those would invite you into if you are uh, interested in that. Okay, that's all we got. Uh, We're going to continue on um, doing our congregational interviews. This is something that Pastor D started uh, uh, kind of in this announcement slot time, uh, just so that you get a sense of who is in our congregation. You, we are kind of emerging out of a pandemic, and we've socially distanced, and we haven't been around for a while, and so we want you to know who is in your congregation. Unfortunately, this week, we hired a new youth pastor, so I'm going to invite up Lexi Ibarra Mercado to come up. And then answer my very tough questions. I think it does. Okay. It is on. Oh, yes, it's on. there it is. Lexi, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what brought you here, and how'd you get here? Okay, um, I'm Lexi. I ended up in San Diego because I came to Point Loma as a college student. I originally am from like Elsinore, California. I grew up in a small Nazarene church, and so I think going to camps and all of that, Point Loma was on my radar pretty young. Um, And I came to Point Loma as a first-generation college student, kind of really not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And um, as I was going throughout the process, I knew I wanted to be active in church, and First Church is pretty close by. And so I think I jumped in my first week as a youth staff and kind of have been here ever since. And you... uh Stepping into uh, this role as a youth pastor is not your first time being a youth pastor. It's not even your first time with our youth. So tell us a little about your experience uh, as a youth staff and as a youth pastor. Yeah. um, So as a college student, I became a youth staff and I worked with a small group of girls from when they were in sixth grade, essentially until they graduated from high school. So it was a long on my end, with the exception of one year after I graduated from Point Loma, I was a youth pastor up in Hesperia for about a year. Um, my undergrad education is in social work, and so naturally I knew I wanted to work with teens um, and didn't know what capacity in classic senior year felt like I studied the wrong thing because I was really drawn to ministry, and I think God was planting seeds all throughout my experience. Um, classic me, I was running away from a lot of it, and so I think it finally got to a place where it felt like a good fit and a good yes to say. Um, First Church has been such a special part of my journey into college and my experience um, in my faith, and so I think this felt like the safest place to jump right back in. It's a good place to jump Just right back in. Just in time for summer camp. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Get all the camps in and elevate yes. and all that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your imagination and vision for our our youth group going forward? 
Yeah, I think I have a lot of work ahead of me um, in kind of just hoping to invite a lot of people back into a space that is a special place for the community. Um, but I think more importantly, I'm most excited to get to know the teenagers in this space because I think that that's what makes church special is you get to know them wholly in all aspects of their rambunctious lives and every phase on, especially as my time as a youth staff, that was the best part and felt like the most successful thing about being involved in ministry is when you know a student and you get to know every aspect of their life, you so beyond the easier. Beyond the titles of uh, youth pastor and admissions counselor, what is something that you would want us to know about you that you may not know just on the surface? Okay, well, this one was a hard question, and I definitely made sure he asked me them before so I could be prepared, and even in that, I'm not that prepared. Um, but as a default answer, I would say I am a creature of habit. I love re-watching movies, and my husband could probably tell you I asked to watch the same movies over and over. Um, but I would say in result of that, I've become pretty good at quoting movies and maybe like mimicking voices. Um, my pride and joy is the Grinch. Don't, don't, please. <laughs> that is my pride and joy. Um, I can probably quote every part can of you, how the Grinch Can you do an impression? Christmas. I need to hear a voice now. You threw it out there. I need to hear a voice from the Grinch. Okay. A line from I the really Grinch as the Grinch. Okay. Oh, no. You put okay. it out there. Okay. Let's my go. other fun fact is once I start giggling, I can't stop. So maybe being a youth pastor is a good call for me. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, have many of you seen The Grinch? Do I? Which, which, Beth, which, <laughs> which Grinch are we talking about? How The Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, okay, specifically. Okay, the Jim Carrey version, but all right. I would say the classic line is when you kind of go through the scheduling of what he's doing in his day. Um, my favorite part of it is when he's like, 5.30, jazzercise. Seven, <laughs> dinner with me, I can't cancel that again. And then the overall classic is, but what do I wear? <laughs> okay. That's all I got. <laughs> Give it up for Lexi. Lexi, I'm so glad you're a part of our church staff. I feel like we're collecting a bunch of um, s- s- uh, movie addicts, uh, which is awesome. I love it. Um, turning towards worship. I would love for, it's a move, good move. I would love for Charlene Pate to come up and read our scripture for this morning. How does one follow that? (laughs) By reading John. (laughs) John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, 
was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, And unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles, signs, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir, worship team, and all who have participated in worship this morning. My name is Russ. If you came expecting Pastor D and didn't get the word, Pastor D's sabbatical has begun. For the next three months, I'll be sharing with you, so let me just kind of give you a little introduction of, uh, of who I am. I've uh, been back here to the church since uh, Luann and I retired uh, for four years almost. Uh, we had been a part of the church when we were married in 2008, and I stole her from the staff, and we went back and pastored in Colorado for 10 years, and then have returned and are back as part uh, of our church. I grew up a family of uh, six children up in Northern California. Our parents had us in church every time there was opportunity to be in church. And when I was eight, uh, I went to my first children's camp, and uh, Chaplain Hal Bonner shared the gospel that campfire service, and I accepted Christ as my Savior and have never been the same since. Uh, my mom had been the one instigating our church life, but four years after I came to know Christ as my Savior, my dad accepted Christ and our family uh, was united in, in worship. Uh, two of my brothers you may know and may know me through them. Carl and Ken both teach uh, here at Point Loma. Uh, Carl and Brenda are part of our local church. Ken is also here this morning to see how his kid brother does uh, in church. But uh, we have... Uh, really come to know Christ through the ministry of the local church. And that has meant much to me. As Lexi said, Point Loma was on her radar screen early on. It was the same with me. And I uh, came to Point Loma back when we were at the Pasadena campus, because I'm old. Uh, and, <laughs> and then to Nazarene Seminary and later my doctoral work at Fuller. Before uh, I married Luann, we were actually putting our Point Loma reunion together. Both of our spouses had passed years before, and uh, we had all been in college together, and that's where Luann and I uh, met once again, fell in love, and we've been married now for 13 and almost 14 years. And so, so those of you who don't know me through my brothers know me through Luann because she had been on staff uh, for many years uh, here at the church uh, before we uh, connected. Before we come to God's word, let's talk a little bit about Pastor D's sabbatical. I sent something out in the e-news this last week, but I want to reiterate to you, we want to guard Pastor D's sabbatical. One of three goals I have for these, uh, these three months. Uh, the first is to guard that time for Pastor D. This is to be Sabbath. This is to be a sacred time of rest and rejuvenation for Pastor D. We have been privileged to have him as our pastor for over 15 years. We hope that after this sabbatical, he'll come back refreshed and ready to pastor until he's ready to retire. We want to, to follow his leadership, and we are so blessed in that leadership. Uh, I, I spoke uh, about uh, Pastor D's just relentless tenderness. What a heart for God. I often think of this quote by C.S. Lewis, that uh, holiness is irresistible. And that's what I see when I see our pastor. And we want that that holiness to have its time to be refreshed. So, for the next three months, Pastor D's cell phone, text, e-messages, all those kinds of things are off limits. He has entrusted you into my hands. <laughs> Please call me. My numbers and all the contact information is there in your bulletin. It's all over the website. Please don't take your emergencies to Pastor D while he's on sabbatical. Uh, I've been a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene for 50 years now, and Pastor D is at ease with this connection. Uh, when I think back to my times of sabbatical in the pastorate, 
my time uh, of rest and refreshment was equal to the way I felt about how things were back home. <laughs> and as long as I was confident that everything was well in the local church, I was able to go about that sabbatical and, uh, and the Lord's gift to me in that time. So let's give that gift uh, to Pastor D. The second goal is that we will continue times of joyful worship. Uh, I will be sharing, uh, following in these footsteps, these next few weeks of resurrection appearances as he began so beautifully last week on Easter Sunday, sharing the story of Cleopas and his companion and the resurrection appearance of Christ. Uh, we will look in John chapter 20 this morning, chapter 21 next week. But throughout these three months, I'd like for us to focus on the words of Christ. We'll be going through various settings of the words of Jesus to us and what he says to our hearts. We will lead up in the prayer journal to Pentecost Sunday, which will be the start of June, and on through July when Dee returns to us. The other goal that I have is to maintain the momentum of regathering. You've noticed the last several weeks, maybe the last month and a half or so, every week there's more of you who have come back, who have said, okay, we knew how we got into pandemic, but none of us knows really how to come out of pandemic. And so as we feel safe and comfortable, we are gathering together, and we want to get to know each other, as Pastor Matt says. We want to get reacquainted with who we are. And as we came into pandemic as basically two congregations, now we're trying to learn those that we really didn't know before. And so if you would join me by pasting on a little name tag every week, that would help me. It would help us, I think. A lot of you in the same boat that says, yeah, I'm not sure who all these people are. I know their face, but who are they? So we're going to have every week little stick-on name tags there. Just put your first name on the name tag and we'll know who we are and get to know each other and become more acquainted as this regathering uh, continues. And so let's come to God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth the truth that reaches to us right where we are. And as we think of the celebration of Easter, as we think of what it means to us that you are alive and that resurrection changes everything, help us to see this morning your truth from this portion of your word, which is so blessed. Teach us from your word in the name of Christ. Amen. John chapter 20. Charlene read the, the last segment of that chapter I love John chapter 20. It is one of the masterpieces, I think, of Scripture as the Holy Spirit led John to give this wonderful account. The background of this, of course, is that John is writing his gospel long after the other gospels have been circulated, decades after the word had been spread around. Uh, the journeys of Paul have come and gone. The church has been established. We have generations now who have served in the church. John doesn't really add new facts to the resurrection account. But John leads us to new insight through the eyes of various characters in Scripture. In this chapter, he uses himself, Mary Magdalene, and Thomas, and the way they encounter Christ. And I want us to look at that. Let's read the first segment of the chapter, where John talks about himself and Peter going to the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary of Magdala went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, the way John refers to himself, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John loves to do, this is a 90-some-year-old man who needs to brag a little bit about what he used to be able to do. 
I associate with John. <laughs> Every now and then, I remember some of the things that my body used to do that it can no longer do. John says, yeah, I, I ran Peter. He'll remind us about it as we go on. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, <laughs> arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, <laughs> also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. A little bit of background to chapter 20. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have taken Jesus' body down from the cross. They have prepared him for burial. They have laid him in this tomb that Joseph had provided. What does John want to say decades after the other Gospels have been written that we might see about resurrection belief? It constantly strikes me that John's Gospel is for us the most mature thought of the New Testament. As we think about the other Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke being distributed and being known by the church and the things they knew about Jesus and the stories that they were telling and all the things they knew about who we were, John now adds to that decades after the fact. And those disciples have all died Violent deaths. John is the last living eyewitness among the disciples. From the cross, Jesus entrusts Mary into the care of John. And for years, John cares for Mary in Jerusalem and later in Ephesus. And now Mary is gone. Paul's ministry has come and gone. The church has been established. John has viewed the church. If we break the first Christian century into thirds, the first is the life of Jesus and his teaching and his death and resurrection the next middle of the decade is the teaching of Peter and John and Paul, certainly in the missionary journeys and the establishing of the church. But the last third of that Christian century is John applying what they have learned, meditating on that, and now giving us his version of what went on during that time. And so, <laughs> we recognize that the most mature thought of the early church, as Jerome reports about John, when he could no longer walk to church, they would carry him to church. When he could no longer preach, he would just repeat over and over, little children love one another. And so we come to this time at the end of the first Christian century, and the most mature thought of the church is little children love one another. It is not some theory of the atonement. It is not some deep doctrinal d discourse. It is little children love one another. And as we come to the church in the 21st century, the most mature thought of the Christian church is still Little children love one another. We are known by our love. And especially in a day when the world does not know much of that love, we will be known by our love. And so we have John's approach to this. And so we want to look at John's insight first. I want to see this as the approach of the logical mind. For John is a very analytical person. What he sees matters a great deal to him. And in that logic, he comes to the tomb. You know, we think we know a lot about John. This Jewish fisherman, you know, we know Peter and Andrew and James and John, the fishing brothers, and 
James and John, who are known as the sons of thunder. How do you get from being one of the sons of thunder to being the disciple Jesus loved? That's the molding of Christ, of what it means to be with Christ, and what a marvelous nickname it is. And so we see John, part of that inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who are there at the raising of Jairus' daughter, there at the Mount of Transfiguration, there praying with Jesus in the garden, as if Jesus is, is really equipping these for service in his kingdom. James becomes the first martyr. Peter becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. John there in Jerusalem and later in Ephesus and finally the last living eyewitness of Christ. How important is he to the church and the message he has for the church? And so we see John's message. And they come to the tomb, he and Peter, after their foot race. And we're told that John looked at the contents of the tomb. Once his eyes grow accustomed to the darkness, and the detail is very important. What he sees are the burial cloths. Now, John knew their method of wrapping. He knew that Joseph and, and Nicodemus had prepared the body, and yet he sees the grave clothes not disturbed, but flattened out. He recognizes that this is more than just a resuscitation like it was with Lazarus. Remember, John had been there when Jesus said, okay, unwrap him. <laughs> And he saw what grave clothes looked like after you take them off of Lazarus and the pile and the mess that all this linen is. But Jesus has escaped this linen straitjacket by some miracle. John recognizes something unique has happened. And it says he saw and believed. There's three different words here which show how poor our English language is compared to the biblical terminology. But in verse 5, it says, John looked into the tomb. In verse 6, Peter saw the contents of the tomb. And then in verse 8, John saw the contents of the tomb and believed. We would use three different words there. The first word is the word they would use for, for glancing at something. John glanced in. Then he waited for Peter. Peter went and it says he saw, that is he stared at it without comprehending. But the word in verse 8 is John saw into. It's the same word that Jesus uses so many times when he sees into us, he perceives us, he sees us. He saw and believed. His intellectual approach said something unique has happened here. There is new life. And we're told in all the resurrection appearances what that new life is like. As Pastor Dee shared about Cleopas and his companion last week, didn't our hearts burn within us on the road as he was opening the word to us? And Jesus was revealed to them when he broke the bread and prayed. So we recognize that the way Jesus appears matters. And as John has this unfolding now during these 40 days of Jesus appearing through the walls when the doors are locked, of Jesus vanishing from their sight, of Jesus being with them on the beach, of Jesus eating with them, all these different things saying this is something new. Paul writes to the Colossian church that he, Christ, is the firstborn among many, that we too, this is a, our clue as to what our resurrection bodies are like. And we begin to recognize that truth. And so John looked and perceived his inquiring mind finds the answer. I'm a great fan of, uh, 
of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, where Lee Strobel, who is basically an atheist journalist in Chicago, when his wife gets interested in Christianity, he wants to prove her wrong. So he's going to prove the resurrection of Christ wrong. And so he approaches it as any good journalist would. He interviews all the principal characters. He can't interview them in person, so he goes to the biblical record. And all the 10 post-resurrection appearances, the 500 who are uh, seen at one time, seeing Jesus at one time. And what Strobel finds is that none recanted their stories. That nobody, under the threat of death, said, no, we just made it up, we stole the body. But everyone believed this to be true, and what he found in his investigation This has has to be true, and became a believer and a great spokesman for Christ. And he used quite often the quote from Chuck Colson, who said, people may die for something they believe to be true, but nobody dies for something they know is false. And Strobel looked at that and said, all these people went to their death saying he is risen. (laughs) I have seen him, I know it, you can take my life, but he is risen. And we as believers in our century need to have that same confidence and that same voice of authority to our world. He is risen. I have experienced that in my own heart and life and will continue to proclaim its truth. Well, John is the approach of the the logical mind, but Mary has no interest in that logical approach. She is just feeling her loss. Let's read on to Mary. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. (laughs) She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I am not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary of Magdala went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So if John is the approach of the the logical mind and and Mary is the approach of this this hungering heart, I want us to see that the dynamic of chapter 20 is that none of us is all intellect or all emotion or all will, but Likely, these three characters that we're looking at this morning are are a weaving of three parts of each of us, the intellect, the emotion, and the will, and how that fits together as we come to our conclusion about the resurrected Christ. Mary is torn in her heart at the loss of Christ. We know Mary's background. Jesus has transformed her from sinner to believer. We're told in Luke chapter 8 that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary of Magdala. She was among the last at the cross, among the first at the tomb, one of the followers of Christ all through his ministry. In her grief, she thought he was the gardener until what? Until he spoke her name. 
It doesn't make sense to us until he speaks our name. When I was that eight-year-old boy at children's camp, he spoke my name and everything was changed. When he speaks our name, we come into this relationship with him that is different because now he is our Lord. And the scripture becomes uh, clear to us from 1 Corinthians where it says the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We recognize in our own heart and life that Jesus has come. Now, I don't want to separate the mind and the heart in this because we both we need to come with both of those in mind, don't we? Paul says to the Philippian church, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He writes to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We recognize that we want to put our minds in gear when we think about the truth of the gospel. But we must also engage our hearts. We must be led to this. As Cleopas said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Mary recognizes him and just rejoices that Jesus is alive. So we can have the logic of our mind satisfied. We can have this this comfort to our hearts that he is alive. But I can have both of those and still resist this decision to follow him. And so Thomas enters the picture, and Charlene has already read those verses to us. We won't read those again. But the thought of Thomas in the midst of this is striking. Because if John is the approach of the logical mind, and and Mary is this longing of the hungry heart, Thomas is the necessity that we must conquer our will to believe. We must deal with that doubt. Thomas, who is called Didymus, the twin. That's not the nickname that stuck. We all know the one that stuck, right? (laughs) It would say, Doubting Thomas, right there on his name tag. Everywhere in Scripture where we encounter Thomas, it seems that his doubt goes beyond, beyond reasonable doubt. I think God welcomes honest doubt. And maybe there's more truth in our honest doubt than all the doctrines that we have because it's that faith that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me move beyond this doubt to certainty. What do you have for me? But Thomas, it's almost always linked to this stubborn pessimism that it's at the root of his disposition. We see him in John 14. Jesus has just given this word, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come and take you to be with me. And Thomas says, how can we know the way? It opens the door for Jesus to say, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am what you are seeking. I love Thomas back in chapter 11 when now, by now there's a price on Jesus' head and he's saying, we're going to go to Bethany because Lazarus has died and we're going to go to him. And here's Thomas always expecting the worst. Lexi, we need an Eeyore voice on this for if you're a Winnie the Pooh fan. <laughs> Thomas, Thomas says, okay, let's just go and die with him. <laughs> That's his approach to this. And Thomas has that incredible doubt that keeps holding him back, but never is it more prevalent than in the 25th verse where he says, to these guys who he's been with for three years, I don't believe you guys. Unless I can see it with my eyes, unless I can touch him with my hand, I will not believe it. That stubborn pessimism that is there that needs to be overcome in Thomas. And the marvelous truth of Jesus is that he appears a week later, 
He orchestrates it just for Thomas. <laughs> Thomas had not been at the cross, had not been with them in the upper room. Thomas has separated himself for some reason from the others. Maybe it's this pessimism of expecting the worst that has to be overcome in Thomas and has to be overcome in so many of us. Now, Jesus appears to the disciples and calls for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Same words, peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, okay, Thomas, put your finger here in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And to Thomas' credit, <laughs> my Lord and my God, Recent Pastor's Day, uh, Professor Davis from Pepperdine was here speaking and was asking a question of a group, who your favorite disciple is? And a lot of people were talking about their favorite disciples. And finally, somebody said, my favorite disciple is Thomas. She says, wait a minute, I've never heard that answer. Your favorite disciple is Thomas. Why in the world would you choose Thomas? And the person answered and said, Thomas wasn't sure, but he kept showing up. And how many have to just keep showing up until God finally works through that expectation that the worst is going to happen? But for all of us, the intellect and the emotion and the will, I can know it for certain in my mind. I know that I know that I know that he is risen. I can be driven by the hunger of my heart and still question his ability to care for me to meet my need, to meet me where I am. Stop doubting and believe. And so we begin to see the way God deals with us in this. We live in the wrong time to run to the tomb with Peter and John or to meet him in the garden with Mary or to be in the upper room with Thomas. But Jesus brings us into the equation here very clearly. Back in chapter 17, he said, I don't pray just for these disciples, but who are everyone who will believe through their message. And now he gives us this positive word. Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those, that's us, who have not seen and yet have believed. He pulls us right into this. Anyone through the years who has not experienced what the disciples experienced, who have not seen Jesus with their physical eyes, but have seen him through the eyes of faith, there is great blessing for those who believe. And then he states his purpose. These things are written that you might believe. So why does John write a gospel years after the others have been written? Why does he add this to it? He states his purpose right there in the 31st verse. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. 97 times in the gospel, believe, believe, believe. It just keeps on coming. These are written that you might believe. He longs for us not only to believe, but to then share that belief with those around us. Is there a better representation of what it means to be his than Jesus' table? He welcomes us to that table this morning. In a moment, we'll have our ushers and Matt come and share the elements with us. We will ask you to come forward to receive the elements. If you can't come forward, Matt will bring them to you where you're seated. Let's pray. 
Father, we recognize that your word comes alive for us in what Jesus has done in defeating death. And so we must accept you the same way. I must look for you with the best logic of my mind. I must acknowledge the hunger of my heart. I must gladly surrender my will to you. So, Father, as we receive the elements this morning, as we hear the words of this hymn of surrender of our will, may we recognize your truth that speaks to our hearts and be transformed by that truth. In the name of Christ, amen. We always practice open communion in our church. If you would love to receive communion this morning, please come and receive the elements or be seated and indicate you'd like to receive elements. And then we'll all partake of them together. If you do not want to partake, just let it pass you by. Let's come to the Lord's table together. Please join me in singing. We're going to sing, um, I Surrender All. And let's surrender our intellect, our emotion, and our will to the Lord today. Let's sing together. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence day. Jesus, I surrender.
anyone who's not been served who wishes to be served let's bow and pray together Father we come to you still in the marvelous afterglow of Easter recognizing your resurrection power and how that changes everything in our lives and we come to your table realizing the price that was paid realizing the gift that was given and thanking you for that gift from our hearts. The word says, on the night he was betrayed, Lord Jesus took bread, broke it and blessed it. Said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, it says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Father, as we come to you this Sunday morning, we pray that your spirit would fill us in such a way that we would go from this place of worship renewed, that we'd recognize your call upon our lives, that we would sense your truth. We pray that you'd be with D and K during these months of sabbatical. May you give rest and refreshment to their hearts and lives. May they know the communion of this body of Christ, for even when we are apart, we are together. We know your love for us. We thank you for that love for us, and we will lift you up. We pray it all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Go in God's peace. Let's lift up Christ together in this week. God bless you. You're dismissed.